I'm Chris Proctor. I'm a weed management extension educator at the University of Nebraska. I'm just going to highlight uh, some of the work we've done for the soybean management field days this year uh, at our different locations, uh, trying to test interseeding of cover crops with a drill interseeder uh, into, uh, into soybean and, and, and some of what we learned. But I, I want to highlight this idea, this concept of interseeding uh, in general first, and then I'll talk a little bit about, a little bit about the study uh, uh, as I get towards the end here. Uh, and so if I just think about cover cropping in general, uh, in corn and soybean, which are uh, predominantly how uh, we're, we're testing the use of cover crops in, in our state and how we're using them, uh, there's just a number of challenges to, to a cover cropping system in corn, uh, within corn and soybean. So you have that short window for establishment after harvest, uh, there's always the question, uh, do the benefits that I gain from my cover crops, do they justify the expense or the cost? Uh, and, and what about, how, how is it going to, not, not only uh, the direct cost, but, but how might that influence, influence crop yields? Um, and, and there's a few things that we've known about this, this idea of how do, how do we uh, successfully establish cover crops within our corn and soybean systems. Uh, and so I'm just going to highlight just a couple of those ideas. One being planting date has a pretty strong influence on how much cover crop biomass we accumulate. And we know that the more biomass that we accumulate, uh, that tends to pretty strongly correlate or relate to uh, the benefits that we, that we see in those systems. And so this is just showing a study over two different years uh, in central Nebraska. And you can see the earlier the planting date, uh, on that bottom axis, the more uh, cover crop biomass that we accumulated, which are those, those green bars, those, that spring biomass. And so uh, planting in, in September, early October, that generated a lot more biomass than waiting until the very end of October to plant. Uh, and we've seen, you, we've seen this visually uh, as well. Uh, and so you can just see uh, this progression of planting dates uh, from, from early September in, until uh, the later part of October, and, and there's a pretty significant difference come the next spring. Uh, so this is the end of April when these pictures were taken. Uh, uh, we had quite a bit more cover crop biomass uh, uh, shown. The other side of the coin uh, in terms of biomass accumulation, if you can delay termination, that's uh, a pretty big difference in, in biomass accumulation. So this was showing some data from a previous soybean management field day uh, study. Uh, looking at termination date, and so this was a difference of about two weeks in termination timing. So we went from uh, a mid uh, a mid May to uh, uh, early June termination timing, uh, and and you can see the two weeks difference made a, a pretty sizable difference in the amount of biomass that we were able to accumulate at that time of the year. And so that's another opportunity uh, within the system to to accumulate biomass. So these are some of the ways that we've looked at that we that we've studied uh, more thoroughly. Um, the question is what other opportunities are there in terms of uh, getting cover crops in, into our systems, into corn and soybean systems. Uh, and so there's other, other ideas that, that have been explored. So this idea of can we add wheat to the rotation, add a, add a third crop to the rotation, that, that just would give you a little bit broader window for establishing a cover crop. Uh, seed corn, silage, using sh uh, shorter season maturity groups. So all these are, are just ways that you can can gain a little bit of an extended season for establishing and growing a cover crop in, in, in Nebraska. Uh, green planting is another one. Right? So that would be uh, delaying termination or delaying how long you let that cover crop grow in the spring. Uh, there's certainly others uh, that could be talked about. Uh, and then the last one I'll highlight and the one I'm 
interested to cover today is this idea of interceding. And so when we think of interceding, there's, there's really two ways that it's done. So there's broadcast interceding. So this would be an airplane, a high clearance applicator. And typically this is a late season application. And so you think of uh, towards the end of the year, R5, R6 and corn, uh, just as, as soybean leaves start to yellow before the leaves start to drop, uh, often uh, cover crops could be interceded at that time. Uh, Really, the drawbacks to the to interseeding this way is is when you broadcast, uh, the seed just falls on top of the soil surface. A lot of it can get hung up in the plant canopies, uh, so you just have poor seed to soil contact. Um, and the other challenge is is you need really timely precipitation. So if you're in a dryland environment and it doesn't rain within a couple days uh, of of interseeding, uh, your establishment tends to go way down. Or, or else you're going to need to, to think about maybe a, a late season irrigation where you typically wouldn't irrigate. Uh, but if you have that seed on top of the soil, irrigation might be, be warranted. Uh, and then uh, another type of interseeding that's starting to gain more attention is drill interseeding. And so there's a, a number of companies, a number of farmers that have just innovated uh, these, these rigs uh, where, where they're kind of they're high clearance machines where they can <clears throat> be driven through the field earlier in the season. So this is kind of the three, the V3 to V5 window uh, uh, in corn. So when a tractor can still get through the field and the, the toolbar is high enough to clear uh, those plants without damaging them. Uh, but the advantage is you can use the, you can use drill openers uh, to put the seed into the soil. And so you have a lot better seed to soil contact. Uh, and most of the work to date has been in corn evaluating how effective this type of system is. So I just thought I'd highlight uh, maybe some ideas or things to think about if, if to be successful uh, uh, with this type of system. So the timing of planting is, is certainly critical. Uh, and so w when the seed goes into the, into the system is, is gonna strongly influence uh, how effective it can be. And just as a way to highlight that, uh, there was a, a study done a handful of years ago at our, our South Central Research uh, Center uh, looking at the timing, it, timing of interseeding in corn. And I just show a, a couple of pictures here to show. Uh, in this system, when we seeded the cover crop at the same time as the corn, it had a pretty uh, detrimental influence on that corn. And so uh, that early timing just wasn't effective in corn. And so uh, getting the timing right is really, is really critical. Uh, cover crop selection. So now that you're you're planting cover crops in an environment where they're in, in some kind of competition with, with uh, our cash crop, picking the right cover crop is, is, is really critical. And so uh, what kind of light is available to that cover crop? Uh, how does that environment favor uh, certain crops over another? And again, this is, this is where there isn't a lot of, uh, there isn't a lot of research being, uh, research is fairly new, let's put it that way. There isn't a lot of information yet on, on what are the most effective crops for these drill interseeding environments. Uh, in, in the corn environments, uh, the, the cover crops that I've listed here are, are ones that have been recommended. Uh, and so you can see annual rise. Some of the clovers uh, tend to do okay in that environment. Um, uh, and a lot of these environments, uh, as you go farther north, uh, the cropping systems tend to change. Uh, the environments under those canopies is a little bit different. And so there's even suggestion of cereal rye, oats. Uh, and so these might even work in, in the northern parts of Nebraska. Um, 
But it, it, it's certainly something to consider is, is what cover crop are you, are you wanting to put under these canopies and how well are they, they going to survive under that environment. Uh, and then the last one I'll highlight, uh, highlight here is, is herbicide selection. And so now we've kind of changed our cropping system. So we've gone from uh, really managing weeds with just the presence of corn or soybeans, but we, now we've added another crop into that system. And so our herbicide programs most likely need to be adjusted or adapted uh, uh, to consider that uh, because many of uh, the cover crops that we might use in these, in these systems would, would, not, uh, would not work well with a lot of our herbicide, our herbicide programs. And so now we're, we're, we're kind of led to think about what are, what are the factors that influence or affect herb, herbicide persistence? Because the longer that herbicide persists in that environment is going to influence uh, what, what inf how that herbicide might impact uh, our, our cover crop. So rainfall, soil texture, organic matter, pH, uh, the rate of the herbicide, uh, just the chemistry of the herbicide itself, how long does it, what, what's the half-life of this, of this, of this uh, herbicide? Those can all influence um, how well it, it might match with a, the with a cover crop. Uh, just for an example, here's an herbicide uh, label, Optil Pro, uh, and if you look, uh, in this in this table here, this is showing the herb, the label recommendations on on how long you need to wait between applying the herbicide and planting the subsequent crop, and they have a category for other crops, uh, and most of our cover crops would fall under that category in, in that they haven't been uh, researched thoroughly. Uh, for this herbicide, that's a 40-month restriction, and so you can imagine if you applied Optil Pro and you wanted to, uh, to plant a clover into that system, well, according to the label, they would recommend you wait 40 months before applying that, uh, planting that cover crop. So that's not feasible for, for any of our systems. And so thinking about the herbicides that you select is important. Uh, I'd highlight another label just to say more and more labels are now containing language that talk about cover crops. And so here's, here's a label in Diflex Duo that actually has a section that talks about cover cropping. And, and their recommendation is if you're using a cover crop, uh, to either do a bioassay to see uh, how well that cover crop might grow in the soil uh, or to at least acknowledge that you're doing it at your own risk. Uh, so if you want to push the envelope and plant a little bit sooner your cover crop, uh, you, can, you can try that and it may very well work uh, in these systems, but uh, this is something that the companies haven't, haven't thoroughly tested and so you need to, uh, to kind of test it yourself. And, and so that's what the labels would describe. Uh, and then I just highlight there's, there's other resources available that would give you some indication of how, uh, what herbicides might, might be compatible with different uh, cover crops. Uh, so we have our guide for weed disease and insect management and we have a lot of these tables uh, talking about herbicide carryover, uh, replant restrictions and so forth that could be uh, used to, to think through this question. Uh, there's some resources that talk about how to conduct a, a field bioassay assay. and so if you wanted to test yourself uh, how might a cover crop uh, grow given your, your soil conditions and how much herb herbicide you might have left in your soil. Uh, this would be one way to test it. Uh, then another one I'd highlight, and this is one that uh, is probably one of the more developed resources right now. Penn State has done a nice job of, of listing a number of tables and uh, how uh, different herbicides uh, might be compatible with different cover crop, uh, different cover crops. And so I just, I, I highlight uh, that, that web page here. Uh, you can easily Google this and, and, and track it down. Uh, and I pull out one of the tables uh, that, that they list there on, on their website. And so this is showing a number of, 
of uh, soybean residual herbicides and, and how they might influence either a grass, a legume, or a brassica cover crop. And so it kind of gives you at least some kind of reference uh, as you're thinking through what herbicides might, might work best uh, uh, with, with cover crops. And then finally thinking about uh, other considerations um, uh, for, for effectively interseeding cover crops uh, into soybeans in particular. Uh, and these are questions that I don't think we have good answers to, but I think uh, we're going to have to think through and, and soybean population. Uh, so a lot of cover crop success in interseeding is, is there enough light and resources for that cover crop to at least survive until that, until that crop is harvested. And so is lowering the soybean population down, is that an effective way uh, uh, to, to allow more light into the system? Um, Road direction is, is something that's been considered. So is a north-south row uh, more effective at letting light into the canopy compared to an east-west row? Uh, the stature of, of, of soybean plants. So a lot of what we select our plants on, uh, we might have to start thinking of different parameters that we use for, for cultivar or hybrid selection. Uh, are, are short stature plants uh, better? Uh, is thinking about maybe some of the determinate varieties that would cease, cease growth at a certain height, maybe allow a little more light into that system. Uh, so again, there's a number of questions that we could begin to ask uh, relative to making this successful in soybean. Um, and so that was, those, were, those were some of the ideas we had in mind as we designed uh, our, our study from this year's uh, uh, field days. And so we have our four uh, locations uh, across our state, uh, Arlington, Shelby, Elgin, and Hildreth. Uh, and so we, we had a it was about the second week of May, uh, give or take, that we planted most of our soybean. And then we came back, uh, it was about, oh, about a month, uh, maybe a little bit more than a month later that we came back and we interceded with a drill interceder uh, at, at those locations. Uh, and the soybean was roughly V3 uh, growth stage when we, when we interceded. And we had two soybean uh, cultivars that, that we evaluated. Uh, so one was, was kind of a typical uh, maturity group three uh, cultivar uh, that's grown in Nebraska. And then we, we tried to select another one that had a little bit shorter stature, hoping that we might see a little bit more uh, light into the canopy with that, with that uh, cultivar. Uh, we seeded all of our uh, uh, study at 100,000 uh, soybean seeds per acre. Um, and then we had two different herbicide programs that we evaluated. And so we looked at... Uh, what we would call a typical program where we had a burn down plus a pre-emerge herbicide. Uh, in this case, we used Valor, uh, followed by a post-emerge uh, herbicide, uh, which uh, we only used Roundup for this particular study, compared to no pre-emerge herbicide at all. And so we were wanting to know, was our herbicide program having any influence on the establishment of, of our cover crop in this interseeded environment? Um, and then for the cover crop that we utilized, again, we don't have a good frame of reference, so what we came up with for this particular study was to evaluate, uh, uh, we, we planted a mixture of annual ryegrass at, at two pounds an acre mixed with uh, winter wheat planted at 10 pounds an acre. And so that was interseeded uh, into the cover crop, into the cover crop, or excuse me, that cover crop was interseeded into, into our, our soybean. And so those have been evaluated throughout this season. Uh, and, and as that data becomes available, uh, that's gonna be uh, compiled and, and made available. Uh, to you uh, in, our, in our research booklet here at the, at the end of the season with the yields and the cover crop biomass uh, and all of that. The question is what, what are the common species and mixes used uh, in these interseeding environments for cover crops? Um, 
one, there's just not a lot that does well under that canopy. Uh, so the most common uh, in corn is annual ryegrass. Uh, I think that one tends to do a little bit better under a low light environment. And then there's a couple of uh, clovers that seem to do okay. And so I think some the crimson clover is, is one that gets talked about uh, frequently. Um, I know there's more and more research coming out. Uh, I, I know some of uh, our colleagues are doing some research in the central part of the state and they're looking at much broader mixes. I think trying to capture some nitrogen fixing species along with some grass species and even some brassicas and seeing if they can make those uh, successful, at least in a corn environment. And in corn you have just a little bit more light. I think the challenge is just that much more in soybean. And so I, I think we're going to have to adapt our soybean system more dramatically if we want to make this work in soybean. But So is that answer your question? I don't have a good answer, but that's kind of what I know. Yeah, so the, the comment and question is we've, we, we've used one suggestion to accumulate more biomass following soybean. The soybean crop is to shorten the maturity group that's used in that system so that harvest would occur a little bit sooner. And, and so in the research that we've done on that, uh, what we've seen is that uh, most, we really don't see any yield penalty all the way down to about a maturity group three, maybe a very late two. Uh, but then from a two, from a, a three down to a two, uh, for Nebraska, for most of the Nebraska locations we've tested, we, we see about a three or four bushel decrease in, in yield to go from a three down to a two. Uh, but we gain about two weeks of growing season in terms of harvest date. And so there's a window in there, I think, in the kind of the mid to late twos, uh, your yield penalty would be fairly minimal, but you are you would probably gain in the, somewhere between a week to ten days in terms of timing to, to establish a cover crop in the fall. So that's kind of our been our recommendation for Nebraska for most of the parts of Nebraska.